Welcome to Getting Curious. I'm Jonathan Van Ness, and I'm about to have a literal excitement breakdown about how excited I am for this episode. Every week, I sit down for a gorgeous conversation with a brilliant expert to learn all about something that makes me curious. On today's episode, I'm joined by Prue Leith of Great British Baking Challenge, where I ask her, how do you get your bake off? Welcome to Getting Curious. This is Jonathan Van Ness. I'm so excited to welcome our guest. I literally can't stand it. She's someone who has been all up on my TV screen for a very, very just good few years. Um, but I know you've been doing things before that, but without any further ado, welcome to the show. Prue Leaf of British Baking Challenge, which has like two different titles. I know like America, UK, but it's one of my favorite shows. I love you so much. Your hair looks amazing. Your house is amazing. I'm obsessed with your color choice and welcome to the podcast. How are you? <laughs> Oh, well, I love that. That's a great introduction. Um, no, I'm thrilled to be here. I mean, you were apparently, and of course, I didn't know all this because, you know, I'm so ignorant and so old and so out of touch. But I didn't know all about you. But I did know about Queer Eye. And so, uh, anyway, I didn't know you did this podcast, which you've been doing for ages. I have. It's, it just had its six-year-old birthday. And now we just launched our TV show, Getting Curious on Netflix. And we're so excited. But I have been knowing about you uh, for a minute. I am obsessed with you. And I think that your introductory sentence was perfect that you didn't know about me because that's kind of the theme of this episode is, I want to know the woman behind the host. Who is Pruleith, uh beyond the Great British Baking Challenge? Which, what do you guys call in the United Kingdom? Because my husband, who's British, tells me 18 times a week. But I have, I think I've done a conglomeration of both titles in my head. And now it's never. Yeah, yeah. In, in England, it's the Great British Bake Off. And we couldn't use that word Bake Off in America because apparently it belongs to someone else, some company. So here's the thing. I don't think people have realized, uh, at least over here, or at least in my house, eight novels, a memoir, 14 cookbooks. Your latest cookbook, The Vegetarian Kitchen, that you co-wrote with your niece, so cute, was published in 2020. You have been busy. You are a very storied person. And I obviously have learned from uh, Bake Off that you have a very discerning palate. Your palate is extraordinary. You're very uh, keen with the tastes, uh, and also sidebar. And you guys can't see this on the podcast, but this room that you're in, what is this your office at home? Yeah, that is my office. Yeah. It is so chic. The colors <laughs> are gorgeous. It's nice, isn't it? It's Do you done. see the chandelier? Can you see the chandelier? Yes, yes, it's gorgeous. It's, it, it was rather pompous, big chandelier, but I thought it looked too pompous. So I hung lots of extra necklaces because I collect necklaces. So I've got, it's, it's behung, but festooned with necklaces and teacups because I collect teacups, antique teacups. So it's full of teacups. Have anyway. you always been obsessed with teacups? No, I've always, I've always loved teacups, little old fashioned, fashioned ones. And, um, we use them for coffee after dinner if we use them at all, but mostly they end up like that up in a chandelier. <laughs> Do you know, like the, oldest or like most storied teacup in your collection? Do you have like some teacup that's like, oh, this one's from the 15th century and was actually used in Queen <laughs> Anne? 
Dan's <laughs> no, cousin's no, something. No, I'm not that kind of collector. I just, I just like junk, junk shops. And when I see them, I buy them. And I have a sort of mental thing that I won't spend more than about £10 on a. You usually get what's called a trio, a cup, a saucer and a, and a plate. And, and I don't want to have, um, I don't care about the saucer and the plate so much. But I buy the teacups, and some of them are about two hundred years old, I suppose, and they're very beautiful. And they, you know, they've got some of them have got gold inside, and they're they're, they're lovely. I wonder if there's like someone who's obsessed with tea saucers and who has like <laughs> a bunch of the matches of your teacups, like, and you guys have like the most matched opposing could, collections. We could have a swap. If anyone's listening to this and you know a tea saucer person, let us know. So, can you tell us, like? You're minding your own business and you realize that you're into cooking and food when? Well, I didn't realize about food. I mean, I was always greedy. You know, as a child, I was greedy. And, you know, I think, you know, you wouldn't end end up a good cook if you didn't love eating food. But I didn't really fall in love with cooking until I got to Paris because I didn't cook as a child. But when I got to Paris as a student, I um, suddenly realized that, you know, pe- that people took real care about cooking and that the woman I worked for, because I was au pair, she used to um, make the children's supper in the evening and she took so much trouble over it and used always fresh ingredients and took trouble about where she bought her, all her um, produce. And so I started to get interested and... Um, that was the beginning. And then I went to cookery school and then I started my own business. So you go to France, you go to Paris and you end up at, I hope I don't say this like a sill sill who doesn't speak French, but you end up at Le Cordon Bleu, which is like, <laughs> right? This is yeah, how we yeah. say it, right? You say Cordon Bleu. Well, that's good enough. Um, I never went to the French Cordon Bleu. I, le- I went to the English one because yeah. I, couldn't oh, afford- uh, uh, uh. I couldn't afford the French one. So I came to England and... Um, and I went to, the, I did the advanced course at the Cordon Bleu. And I slightly had to bl- bluff my way in because I wanted to do the advanced course because I wanted to get on and cook for my living. And I felt I hadn't got a whole year to spare. And I didn't have the money for a whole year. So I, I went to see them and I said, can I join the advanced course? And they said, you can't come to do the advanced course unless you've already done our beginners and our intermediate one or unless you've worked in a restaurant. And I said, oh, well, I have worked in a restaurant, which was true because I'd worked in a restaurant in Paris. What I hadn't told them was that I didn't do any cooking. I was, you know, I was um, washing up and moving plates around and I didn't do any, I wasn't allowed to cook. But you were around the culture, so you probably picked (laughs) up a few tips and tricks. I was being economical with the truth. So I, so I got in and then, and I loved it. And it was a very good course. And I did that for three months, only three months. And then I started my own catering company. What was the thing, like for me, when I went to hair school, the thing that made me like take a mannequin head, like off the holder and like want to open the window and throw it off was learning <laughs> finger waves. Like learning finger waves was like, I just hated it. And I was like, when am I ever going to do this? Like, is it 1929? And I just didn't know. Like, why are we still having to learn finger waves? Was there something at Le Cordon Bleu or in your education that you were just like, oh, my God, I hate this. It's so finicky or like not the whole thing, but just like a particular (laughs) dish that you were like, ah. No, no, I think that there were things that we did that I knew that I would never, ever do again. 
like stuff a mushroom. I mean, who needs to stuff a mushroom? You know, it's ridiculous. If you want to give mushrooms another taste, so you want to put garlic in them or parsley or what, I mean, why not just chuck it all in together, you know? And, th- and stuffing a mushroom is one thing and then turning a mushroom, which meant making little patterns on the top. I, I guess it's like finger curling. <laughs> you know, you make a little pattern on the top of the mushroom with a knife and it's quite tricky to do. And they teach it to you because it's supposed to develop your knife skills. Mm. But since I'm never going to turn a mushroom, and there were some things we were taught to do, which I know I'll never do because I disapprove of so much. I mean, I think God made a perfectly good job of making a radish. I don't think it needs to be cut into a kind of rose or a tomato must look like a hand grenade. You know, some people (laughs) cut it all around the edge and then open it up. I mean, what's the point? (laughs) So I don't don't know any of that. I like very good, simple food that tastes great. Okay, so here's here's a question that I did. It's it's twofold a little bit because a on Bake Off we see you try like all sorts of stuff, and my husband often gets mad at me because he's British. Uh, he's now lived in Texas with me for like almost two years. There's culture shock a little, you know. He's never lived in the U.S. and there's um, like I can't handle like a citrus in my baked goods. I can do like lemon squares or like lemon flavored things, but like. If you put like orange in my cinnamon rolls or like my Chelsea buns, <clears throat> the orange, I can't. Like, like it's orange, orange and dried cranberries. It's very common over there, honey. But over here, I feel like we just don't put that in there. And then, and then I'm like, where, and then Mark's like, oh, it's not cinnamony and sugary enough. And I'm like, no, it's not. There's all these like fruit flavors that are confusing me. I just want like my, I just want my Chelsea bun like ladled in hot, wet sugar icing and like cinnamon and sugar and like no fruit tastes. So is there, is there like a taste that you just like really low key don't like, but you have to taste it or like, you know, like it? Well, I'll tell you what I really, really hate as you know, there's a sort of fashion for torching meringue. You know, you take a blowtorch to meringue and when it's still raw and a lot of chefs um, do that uh, and I absolutely hate it. I hate raw meringue. I don't mind it if they've just given it 20 minutes in the oven so that the egg white is a little bit cooked. And then they can torch it if they want it to make look stripy or pretty or anything. But raw meringue is just disgusting. I mean, it's slimy and it's too sweet and horrible. I don't think I've ever had raw meringue. I've had major like pavlovas and I've had major yeah. like eaten mess, but I don't think I've ever had like torched meringue that was raw in there. Exactly. Well, at the moment, there's a sort of fashion for it. And I think it's just lazy because if you just give it like a, a pavlova, you only need to put pavlova in the oven for 25 minutes and it'll be a little bit crusty on the outside and it'll be nice and gooey in the middle. But apart from that, there's almost nothing that I don't like to eat. I mean, I, I'm... You know, I love orange and cranberry and and I like cinnamon buns and I like everything. I like orange and cranberry, for the record, outside of a cinnamon bun. Like, I like <laughs> okay. it. I just don't want it, like, in my baked goods. What about, like, olives, pickles, mushrooms? Those are my three hated trio. That's, like, my... Oh, and cilantro. Uh-huh. It's, like, the pewter metal. Like, or uh, you guys call it um, uh, coriander. Yeah. This is, like, my fourth most hated thing. But you love all of those tastes. All of those things. 
Did you ever, did you not like something when you were younger, but then like it now? I didn't, you know, I used to think I hated oysters because they looked so disgusting. You know, they looked like something really horrible. And so I didn't eat them. And then one day when I was about 17, I was taken out to dinner by this really handsome guy that I fancied. And I thought, oh, this is the moment, you see. And he and he said, shall we have some oysters? And I thought, oh. And so I said, um, I didn't like to say it. I couldn't eat an oyster. So I said, oh, how wonderful. What a treat, I said. And this plate of oysters arrived. And after a little while, he said to me, you don't like oysters, do you? And I said, oh, what do you mean? Of course, I love them. They're absolutely wonderful. And he said, I've never seen anybody wrap up an oyster in the brown bread and swallow it whole before. (laughs) (laughs) And then he told me the reason he was taking me out to dinner was because he was in love with my best friend. And so that was a a double blow. I ate oysters for the first time. However, um, and then I got told that I, you know, would I be a go-between and make my, my best friend go out with him. Anyway, so that wasn't a good evening. But then, um, years later, when I was on a, about 10 years ago, 12 years ago, I was on a show called The Great British Menu. And it was top chefs, really top chefs, do cooking against each other. And at the end of the first series... We had a rap party and one of our most famous chefs, who's a guy called Richard Corrigan, who owns a couple of really amazing restaurants, he appeared with a tray of wonderful oysters for us all to, to eat. And he went around giving everybody oysters. And he came to me, he's Irish. And I said, and I said, oh, sorry, Richard, I don't eat oysters. And he said, what? Call yourself a foodie? Open your mouth. And he was so, he's a very big man. And he just took this oyster and shoved it in my mouth. And he said, chew, chew. He said, don't just swallow it, chew it. So I did. And I thought, God, for 50 years, think of all the oysters I could have eaten. It was so delicious. And I thought, I've missed. So I've been trying to make up for lost time. love oysters and I also love that story because I've heard that you were like supposed to swallow them whole and my friends make fun of me for chewing them because I like how they taste oh, yeah. and, and like I, I I did though my um this girl that I owned a salon with who's one of my really dear friends her name is Monique I love her so much she really does hate oysters and I was like no it's a texture thing you've just never had them and so then we went to this really good oyster bar like under the premise that she was going to try them and I like dressed it up for her. I put like the horseradish with like the vinegar stuff. And it was, I was like, oh, you're going to love it. She literally had to put her head under the bar and was dry heaving so hard. Like her little feet were like, like, her, and I was oh. like, I was like, do not get sick and pause. Like I, like I was like, and she, she kept it down, but by the skin of her teeth. Like, I mean, she almost, she really does hate them. So Monique, if you're listening to this, I'm sorry uh, that you didn't have Prue's experience. Um, I'm obsessed with oysters, though. Well, you were trying to give her one of the great pleasures of life, so you know, don't don't beat yourself up. Do you like them naked, or do you like how, like what's your favorite oyster preparation? I just like them as they come. No salt, no vinegar, no lemon, no onion, no nothing. Just as Ooh. they are. We do a little horseradish here with like this, like vinegar with like all that stuff in there, I think, which I do love. Have you ever had like the baked ones with like Parmesan and like, like stuff on there? 
I don't like them so much. I do like them and I do like the pickly things and I occasionally do have chopped shallots and red red wine, wine vinegar or something on top. But I really prefer them just whole. And when my husband and I got married, we went, we were getting married, just the two of us, and, and we had two witnesses in Scotland. And we went to, into this oyster bar before we went into the registry office. And the, the waiter said to me, he knew it was our wed- my wedding, and he said, what are you going to have for your first course? And I said, oysters. And he said, and for your main course? I said, oysters. <laughs> so, so I had oysters, followed by oysters, followed by treacle tart and custard. Well, you don't even know what treacle dart is. But yes, I do. A, My husband's British. He's obsessed oh, yes, with treacle. We talk about oh. it all the time. Okay, treacle dart and custard. And also, so. I watch Bake Off, so I've also seen like my fair share of like treacle, like treacle things <laughs> being made. I feel. I also got married with just two witnesses and my husband. It was in Texas, not Scotland, but I love that gardening. I also hear that you're obsessed with gardening. I am. I love it. Absolutely love it. Have you always loved it? No, not when my children were little. I don't think anybody gets into gardening very much, usually, until their children have gone off to school. Because while they're kicking balls into the flower beds, and you you need the space for the climbing frame or the sand pit or whatever it is. But once your children get get a bit older, then then I started getting interested in gardening. So I was about 40 when I I started gardening. And I didn't know anything before I lived in the country. I didn't, couldn't tell an oak tree from an ash tree. And now I really love it. And we just made a, a little film, my husband and I, for Channel 4, which is, the, you know, the same um, channel that shows Bake Off. Yes. Um, we made a program called Prue's Great Garden Plot. And, oh. it's, all, <laughs> and it's all about... Um, turning a field, because we just moved house. And so turning a field into a garden. When does it come out? It, it came out this autumn. Is it a movie or is it a series? It's a, it's a series. It's a four, <sighs> four series. Oh my God, if it's not on BritBox, I'm literally going to have to get like a VPN to fool it. We have to watch it. We watch Gardener's World a lot. Like that's like, <laughs> that's like our night. Do you watch Gardener's World? Occasionally, yeah. Dude, Can you ever met it. that Monty Don? Yeah, I have met him. He's really nice, just like he, he seems. He seems so sweet, right? He's a really nice man. Yeah, he's I've so only met sweet. Him yeah. Oh, my God. He's, he's a really nice chap. I can't wait to watch your gardening show, though. And is that still where you guys live? And did you, well, I don't want a spoiler alert, but that's, no. well, I guess I'm going to need a spoiler alert, kind of. Is that where you garden now? Yeah, that's where, that's the garden that, that I'm most interested in now. I had a big house just up the road. And it was really ridiculously big. You know, it had 10 bedrooms or nine bedrooms and a couple of cottages attached and a, and a barn. And for two of us, it was ridiculous. And my husband also had his house still. So we finally decided we'd pool everything and we'd come and we'd build a new house. So I, I had a farm and I knocked down the farmhouse, which was a little tumbling down cottage, and we built a modern house. And so, ah. and, and a completely new garden, which is the, this house the garden was, um, there wasn't a garden. It was just a, a farmer's concrete, you know, sheds and old containers and busted machinery and, and rubbish and a little house in the middle. 
Same. So will this be your like? Will this be your second spring and summer in that garden, or yeah. will it be, yeah, it'll second? be second? Yeah. It'll be oh second. my god, how exciting! So this is going to be our third in our house. Um, I I didn't know. I'm gonna already from our first uh, twenty minutes of conversation. I can tell you're going to be like, you, this is not going to make me seem any smarter to you, but I'm going <laughs> to say it anyway. Um, I didn't know that vegetables and fruits like had flowers. Uh, so I, that's why I never like was into gardening because I was like, there's no flowers. I don't really what you know, or like with fruits and vegetables. Then I married my husband. He's obsessed with gardening. Like I said, he's British for the 50 million times. So he's into gardens. Um, and we we garden a lot. That's great. I, I mean, the whole point about gardening is it's so satisfying. And it it just, I mean, I like it. The thing about cooking, I love cooking, but, you know, it's over. You know, you you do it in the morning, you've eaten it, lunchtime's gone. I mean, gardening, you plant a tree and you watch it grow for years and years. My only problem is that I haven't got years and years left. So uh, the temptation to, we were just planting masses of trees on the farm and new and go, and we're going all organic and we're doing all the right things. And it's, it's so tempting to go buy trees that are half grown and you know it's really dangerous because they don't like being moved and they you're much better off to buy little whips so i'll never see them grow but at least they'll be there oh so what's like your favorite what's your favorite thing to garden what's your favorite thing to grow like food wise well it, it changes depending on what i'm doing but at at the moment, we used to have in my old house a really big vegetable garden, which when I first opened my restaurant, and I had restaurants and uh, 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 quite a few restaurants and a lot of um, catering and a big catering company and a big cookery school. And so I used to grow stuff for them, a lot of flowers and a lot of herbs. At first, I grew veg as well, but the chefs used to complain that the carrots had carrot fly and that the the asparagus was too erratic you know one one minute there would be some asparagus which were tiny and some which were huge and it, it, it wasn't like going to the supermarket and the chefs used to bitch about this a lot <laughs> so so i decided i'd stick to mostly herbs and and flowers but when we moved down here i thought well i'll go grow our own veg but there are only two of us and then occasionally people at weekends and so on so we grow flowers and veg in huge cattle troughs in the oh. courtyard. And they're, they're big cattle troughs. Um, and last year, we, which was our first year, uh, we grew um, tomatoes and kale and beans and um, uh, cavolo nero, you know, that nice black cabbage and spinach and lots of stuff. And and of course, lots of herbs. And, you know, we still had to buy some veg because nothing comes exactly where you want it to. And next year we'll do better. But it's just so satisfying to, to just go out and pick your own stuff. And we also grow lots of things like, um, not just herbs, but things like nasturtiums, which are just so peppery and they make lovely salads and my husband's obsessed with nasturtiums. He made me eat one like three weeks ago because like everything's like was about to die because it's like and everything mm -hmm. now is fully dead because it finally froze. But mm -hmm. I think that nasturtium that I had was like super old or something because it was like so peppery. I was like, it was, the, it was then, the first time I ever had it. it was No, you must have just the very young little round leaves and also eat the seed pods pickled. 
Ah, tell him, tell him to pickle down. the seed pods. Nasturtium, they're like capers, but not so strong. Um, is it warm enough where you live to like grow pumpkins and watermelon? Butternut squash grows quite well. Pumpkins grow okay. Um, I've grown in the old house, I grew melons, but uh, only some years they'd work. Some years it would, we just wouldn't have enough sun. And mm. this, this summer's been rubbish. So, um, I, we have squash borer vine moths here, which had the nerve to murder my pumpkins because they like <laughs> lay their eggs in the vines. It's a whole nightmare. But if I lived in a place where there wasn't squash borer vine moth, which I'm pretty sure they don't live in England, I think they only live in like the Eastern US, I would be growing pumpkins like they were, they're just, it's just they have the little flower and then they're like, <clears throat> like a little oh, baby so fat pumpkin. Oh my God, they're so, so cute. Beautiful. I never knew. But actually, I skipped a part in your in the origin story of Prue that I want to go back to that you just brought up. So you're minding your own business. You get through your training in London at Le Cordon Bleu, like London location, yeah. um, which I'm obsessed that there's multiple. Uh, but then you become this like gorgeous entrepreneurial like restaurateur with a catering business. And it's very major. It's like very successful in the United Kingdom, which it kind of reminds me of like, I love doing hair and I don't get to be behind the chair, like doing as much hair as I did. I mean, I still do hair every day, but it's not like 12 different people at a salon, like the way I used to. Do you ever miss the restaurant? And do you ever miss like the catering and in that era? Do you know, I don't, but I think that's more to do with my character because I'm always far more interested in what's going to come tomorrow than what I did yesterday. I wrote a an autobiography about 10 years ago. And then five years later, I had to update it because by then I'd met John and remarried and and got on Bake Off. And so the publishers said, we need some more. So I wrote a couple of extra chapters. And now they want me to come to the States and meet all you guys and, you know, generally put myself about. And and so I've got to read this book that I wrote 12 years ago. And I'm really not enjoying it because although... You know, it's quite, I don't think it's, uh, I think it's it's well-written and it's a good book, but I'm much more interested in writing a, a novel or doing something that's in the future. And I've never really regretted anything. It took me a long time to decide to sell the business. And I, di- I did it. I, I, I ran those three businesses, the, the school, the catering company, and it was a big banqueting business, you know, big catering company, which is what made the money. The restaurant and the school were profitable, but they were, they got us all the publicity and all the kudos. But what really made the money is bums on seats, you know, big, mm. big catering jobs. And um, so I decided to sell because my then husband was getting old. He was, he was turning 70 and I was about to turn 50 and I wanted to write this novel. So I said to him, you know, why don't we sell the company? Um, and then I'll, and then I'll stay at home and write novels. And, and he said, but you, you know, you'll miss it. So, you know, you spend most nights in the restaurant and you're in the catering business every day and you, you love the school. And, and, you know, I used to do all the exams for the schools and so on. And I just thought, I've done it for 25 years. That's enough. So I, I did, I did sold it all and I didn't mind at all. Oh. Not at all. But then I was into the next thing. You know, I was writing my novels and I did that for 20. I think every 25 years is quite a good idea to have a big upheaval in your life. 
So I did, I did all that business stuff for 25 years. Then I did 25 years of writing, during which time I also, I must confess, started doing, I'd, I became, a, it was just at the moment when big business, you know, all sorts of big public companies wanted women on their boards. And it was very difficult to find women who had a business background. And so I was just in the right place at the right time. And although I, the first big job I got like that was to, to go on the board of British Rail, which was British Railways, which was actually owned by the government at the time. And, um, and I thought I knew nothing about trains, but that'll be interesting. <laughs> and, and, of course, they just wanted somebody who knew about customers and, no. Anyway, so I, I did that. And then I started to be asked to be on all sorts of boards. So that's what happened. What so. an interesting, gorgeous um, collection of experiences that you've had. And I feel like it kind of makes you want to ask about, you mentioned um, kids and like, you know, you got into gardening, like once your kids went off to school. Mm-hmm. And I think I also read that like, you've done some like collaboration with your family with like cookbooks and the production company. I love that. I wrote a cookbook vegetarian kitchen. I'm, I love vegetarian food. I, I like, I, I do like, I mean, I'm a great carnivore. I, I, I don't think I could ever go for my whole life without another steak. I mean, I, I, I like meat, but I do also like veg. And I think veg gets, you know, gets a bit of a bum rap. I think it's changing now because, it, you know, the vegans have come along and, and so it's suddenly much more fashionable to be vegetarian or vegan. But for a long time, it just seemed that, um, People weren't take, taking vegetarian food seriously. They thought it was some kind of hair shirt. You know, you had to do it for the good of the planet, but nobody would enjoy it. And that's nonsense. So anyhow, my my niece is vegetarian and she's a fantastic baker. I mean, she's a better baker than I am. So we just thought it'd be, I just thought it'd be great. You know, it's, I like collaborating with other people. So we, we did that book together. And then I made a film with my daughter, I, my daughter is Cambodian. I adopted her, or my husband and I adopted her, when she was a toddler. She was 16 months. Cambodia has a horrific history. You know, after the um, Vietnam War, they they had the most terrible genocide in Cambodia with the Khmer Rouge killing everybody. She was just a baby then. And she was flown out of um, Cambodia and she came to England and we managed to adopt her. And she, um, she wanted to explore this, you know, and go back to Cambodia and see if she could find any trace of her original family and all that. And so we made a film also for Channel 4, which was called Journey with My Daughter. And it was the most lovely film um, because we had two weeks together, which was rare and, and, and lovely. It made a really good little film. She and two of her friends, who are all in the film business, um, and I have set up a, a embryonic startup production company, um, which is also called Relish. Relish is the name of my autobiography. And Relish sort of describes me because I, I did want to call it greed. <laughs> the publisher said people will think it's about banking. You know, because of of greed. So so we called it relish. 
And so now the film company is called Relish, and we haven't got our first commission yet, but um, we're, we're full of hope, and it's very exciting. So I'm doing that with my daughter, and then I made this film about gardening with my husband, and he is a kind of chainsaw gardener. You know, there's nothing delicate about him. You know, you can't, he's not, you can't really ask him to pick a flower or, um, or do anything. Pricking out seedlings would not be what he'd want to do. But take a chainsaw and get rid of a whole fallen tree or, or a hedge trimmer. And what he wants most in the whole world is a tractor. That's the, the tractor that will mow everything. You know, bigger than a ride on mower, but not as big as a a huge farm tractor, not one of them. And I keep thinking, this is ridiculous. We don't really need it. But I know he wants it so badly. And I thought, well, if I was mar- married to somebody who was desperate about cars, he'd be wanting to spend hundreds of thousands of pounds on cars. So he'd better have his tractor. <laughs> so did you get it? I'm getting it. It's supposed to be his Christmas present, but there's a delay on 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 tractors, like there's a delay on everything. So the tractor won't appear till March or April, which is just as well because we've nowhere to put it, and it'll it'll be so cosseted it'll have to have at least half the shed will have to be devoted to the tractor. And he's got to, he's got to clear out all his junk before we can do that. Well, you're a good partner for indulging and letting him have his you know letting him have his tractor moment. Well, he does spoil me. He doesn't mind carrying my handbag. You know, he doesn't mind going going shopping. <laughs> he, he loves shopping, in fact. In fact, I sometimes suspect he's a shopaholic because he, <laughs> he he buy. He, if you ask him to buy a loaf of bread, he'll come back with six. <laughs> he's like, I didn't know which one you want, so I got you choices. Oh, exactly. Because anyway, he does spoil me. He's very good. I'm so happy that you ha- that you have him and that and that you guys get to do so much fun stuff together. But I would just be remiss as we're approaching the end part of our uh, interview, and you are just fingering that gorgeous fucking hair to the gods. You have such amazing hair. I it is one of. I honestly think that your hair should have its own credit page on Bake Off. Like it really should. My like, it's, hair should. But I'm just telling you. I tell you who cuts it is John. John cuts it. We bought one of the. He was so offended when when I said to him he his hair we needed a decent haircut because he had terrible haircut, and so he went to my hairdresser. Who I had a posh hairdresser at that time, and 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 to get his haircut. And then he was absolutely hor- horrified that it cost ninety pounds. He said, "But I never pay more than nine pounds for my haircut." And I said, "Well, it looks like it." So he then bought a machine, you know, that, and you go over like that. Oh, yeah. So in, in lockdown, we just cut each other's hair. But I think oh. mine's a bit of a mess at the moment. So I'm going to go and get it properly cut and then he can go on doing it. So but your husband's two, it, been cutting your hair with clippers? For two years, he's been cutting my hair. But you've done like seasons of Bake Off in lockdown. Didn't the hairdresser there just like give you a little <laughs> zhuzh or something? Yeah, no, she did. She, she does the... The Bake Off one, um, Bambi, she does um, occasionally. Uh, Your stylist like, name on Bake Off is Bambi? Bambi. That's the cutest name of all time. <laughs> you have to tell her she does such a good job. Your hair from I'll the side, the sick. back, the front, it's the shape on you is just, oh my, I mean, honestly, can I just tell you something? I'm going to tell you something you didn't even ask, but I'm going to tell you right now. Here's the thing about Bake Off. 
I was so attached to Mary Berry and Melon Soup. Like, so attached. Like, I, when I first discovered it, I watched it like four hours a day. I watched Nancy Burtwistle <laughs> oh season like 75 times. Like Nancy, when I met Nancy Burtwistle for the first time, I almost hyperventilated and had like, I almost passed out. Like I, <laughs> like I love Bake Off. So when the first uh, hosting shift happened, I was like, no, I'm not. I can't. I won't. They were, I can't. And then I was like, actually, you of all people shouldn't be too like up tight about hosting yeah. changes since like I'm the host on a show that had a hosting yeah. change and like gave me my career. So I was like, you're just gonna have to like, so first episode hooked, obsessed. And then I met you and three minutes into it, I was like, holy shit, these casting people are so genius. I just fell in love with you instantly. And part of it, outside of understanding immediately that you have such a grasp for everything that you're talking about on this show. Like, it's very clear that you're an expert in food. I didn't know exactly what your background was, but it was very clear that you're an expert. But what really took me and what really just, you know, because queer people specifically, like, you know, I grew up, you know, assigned male at birth. I identify as non-binary. So, but there's something for like young queer people where like, we are obsessed with a lady who knows, like just with like a knowledgeable lady who has fierce style. And you're a knowledgeable lady with style. Have you always been obsessed with bright and bold colors? Did you always know how to dress so cool? When did that develop? When did that develop? Well, certainly not when I was a child, because when I was a child, kids just wore what they were given, you know, and I I would have a pile of shorts and a pile of t-shirts and I'd take one off the top and just didn't matter if they matched or didn't match or anything. Whereas today, children are really, at, at the age of two, they're fussy about what they wear and they get <laughs> sort of, they have to have Nike trainers and all the rest of it. Anyway, um, so no, I think that I began to like um, really good color when I was in my 20s, you know, and that was the 60s. And it was when, you know, the, London was sort of exploding with fashion and it was, you know, Mary Quant and Bieber shops and high boots and top pants and, and, um, suede colored, different colored oh. boots and all that. And so I was into all of that at that age. And then, um, what's re- that helped of late is that when I was on this, um, some previous television show, I met a wonderful woman who was given to me as my stylist called Jane Galpin. She has a company called How to Look Good or something. And she sort of looked at me and she was the first person who'd ever dressed me for television that got what I liked. You often get very young stylists who are, you know, they look great in little um, baby doll dresses with a ribbon under the bosom and the, the frilly and fussy sleeves with little bows and all that stuff. They look great in all that, but I just felt like ridiculous. And Jane just knew at once that what I like is block colors, simple things, very bright and um, a bit quirky, you know, jewelry that's a bit crazy. And um, and then my husband comes along that we married five years ago. We've been together about 10 years or 11 years. And he likes... Um, he likes nothing better than a, to be in a foreign market in Mexico or in South Africa or somewhere and buying jewellery that are made out of paper or tin, or, you know, junk really, but beautiful and original and lovely. 
So he's always encouraged me. So between him and Jane, I get, I have a great time. Um, okay. So I didn't totally plan to ask this question, but it just came to me and I'm going to, since it's almost the end. I find after spending this time with you that you have really, um, challenged a lot of societal pressures that women have faced throughout your career, whether it was becoming a successful business person, whether it was, you know, sitting on all these boards, you've been a massively successful entertainer, producer, writer, author. Um, You've done a lot in your career that is just truly unique and extraordinary. And as you talk about your husband that you've been with for 10 years, uh, married for five, my mom lost uh, her so my mom and dad got divorced when I was five. She lost her second husband when in 2012, which was just the love of her life. Like just, Aww. she'd had a crush on him when she was little. Uh, he was like 11 years older than her. She fell in love with him and just, they had such a great marriage and such a great relationship. Mm. And watching her lose him is probably like one of the most just sad things I've ever seen in my life to watch her go through such a loss. And I think that for so many women, after they experience a loss, uh, I, I feel like it's, we don't see it in the press. We don't see it in entertainment. I feel like people don't talk a lot about second marriages for women after, if they've had a partner, if they've lost it's a fair. partner. It's, and yet it's, it, it happens a lot. I mean, I have a lot of friends who have um, fallen in love late in life. And I think what young people don't understand, uh, uh, I mean, I think they find it embarrassing. You know, it, it, old people are not meant to do any of that, you know. But, um, the funny thing is that they will find when they get older that they feel exactly the same as they did when they were young. I mean, when I fell in love with John, it was exactly like when I fell in love with my first husband. You know, I, I would do all those things you do when you're in love with somebody. You know, you panic that they haven't rung you. You look at your phone all the time. You think, shall I text? Or will that look as if I'm being too pushy? Shall I? <laughs> you know, just your heart starts beating too fast. And, and, and all of that goes on. Um, and why wouldn't it? So, and also the other thing I think um, women, I, I want to sometimes shake women because I get letters from women who say, you are, I so admire you. You're so brave because I mean, I used to, I used to wear great, wonderful colors like you when I was young, but I mean, I'm over 50 now. I can't wear red. And I think, why not? That's when you need it. <laughs> I mean, you know, when you're 17, you can get away, you can look invisible and you'll still be visible because, but women seem to think it's their duty to be invisible after they're 50 or 60. And I think that's nonsense. And my other thing I'm always on about, I mean, the two, I have a necklace range. Oh, yeah, this okay. is one of them. This is one of them. Oh, you can't see it. This is oh, crazy necklace. Love it. Um, and I have a specs range. I mean, I don't know if you can see, there are lots of colors. Oh, in yes, I love. And, um, and I have these two ranges. And it's because I think that women spend a fortune on shoes and handbags. And where do shoes and handbags sit? Under the table. You never see them. You see somebody's high heels when they walk in. She's incredibly, they're very uncomfortable. She can't wait to get them off. And then they're under the table. And then the handbag goes under the table. Well, your glasses are right on your face. They're never under the table. 
<laughs> and the same with your necklaces. Well, I have about 20 pairs of glasses and growing, you know, I probably got about 40 by now because I think I like to have different glasses with different things. And I often start the day thinking, what will the necklace be? What will the specs be? And then get everything else around it. That kind of reminds me of like Bobby's uh, outlook on home design. He always thinks you have to start like a room with your most favorite thing and then like design (laughs) around that. Um, So it's kind of how you are with your glasses and your accessories. So it's like normalize more colorful accessories is is Prue's message. So here's my final question and then I'll let you guys swear to God. Usually I end my podcast with, it's like your moment to say anything that you want to say. And we can still do that, of course. Um, But I am just struck by wanting to ask you, what is your advice for people, um, for anyone who has to deal with the internal or it has to deal with the messages that we're given, like from the world, uh, but you still want to do whatever it is you want to do. How have you dealt with your internal self-doubt? Um, well, I think I probably lacked the imagination to have self-doubt. <laughs> I probably never thought I wouldn't do it. I've always been optimistic. I think I've been very lucky because I've had a sort of optimistic nature. And of course, things have sometimes gone wrong. At one point, my catering company, I decided that I wanted to do all the catering in the parks, in the public parks, you know, like in in um, Central Park, there's a what used to be a good restaurant, it's not now, but it, Central Park had a, had a really good restaurant at one point. And I thought we should have one in Hyde Park. And I failed utterly because I'd misjudged the, I mean, I, the British public were just not ready for a glass of Chardonnay and plate of smoked salmon sitting by the water. You know, they, they, they were, they wanted slimy burgers in a bun and, and, and cheap tea. So, um, it didn't work. And, and my, but my attitude is always, if something fails, I don't dwell on it. I just think, um, well, that didn't work. I'll try something else. Oh, I think that didn't work, but it should have worked. It was a good idea. So I'll have another go at it. But I'm always thinking about the future, not the past. I think if you can just switch your mind to stop thinking about the past, 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 it's gone. It's history. Think of the future. Can we end on a better note than that? (laughs) I don't think so. What's next for you? Uh, what are you excited for? What what do we must watch? What's on the horizon? Where do we need to be following you? Uh, following your oh work? Oh goodness! Oh goodness! Well, um, I'm well. I, what I'm really looking forward to is um, I mean we're we're about to do another um, Bake Off, which will be fun, and then in the autumn, I think, with any luck, Paul and I will come to to LA and New and New York, and that'll be fun because I haven't been to the states since before the pandemic. And for me personally, I'm hoping my little um, television company with my daughter will be good. If that can take off, that'll be fantastic. I'm sure it will. I hope so. I don't see why it shouldn't. And then, you know, and then I, I mean, one, one thing I'm looking forward to, but it's rather private, so you won't be able to follow it, is that I love fishing, um, fly fishing. And I love Scotland. My husband is a Scot. And so for my, what was supposed to be my 80th birthday, which was two years ago, we were going to go to Scotland and to fish in the Naver River for a week and take, you know, 10 friends. 
and then take a little boat and go toddling around the Western Isles in a in a steam little puffer boat. And so that was cancelled because of COVID. And then it was cancelled again because of COVID. And so I'm going to do it this September. And I'll be 82 celebrating my 80th birthday. <laughs> It'll be good fun. The look on my face for the last three uh-huh. minutes is that you're 82? Yeah. I'll be 82 in a month. I'm 81 in a something or other. Lady, you don't look a day over 45. What is your <laughs> secret? What uh, what skincare are you using? You look, you are, you have more energy than me. What is, what is the secret? Do you not drink soda? Yeah. No, I I drink everything, mostly alcohol. Now, I, do you know what? Um, it's interesting about skincare because I I I'm often asked this. I'm I'm quite lucky that I that I have quite good skin for my age. But I don't I don't have any secrets. All I do is I wash my face with soap and water, and then I put on any old cream from the hotel, you know, body lotion or Whatever there is. Also, I have an American pitch for you. I have an American okay. pitch. Okay. okay, you ready? Um, yeah. Okay, just for just for a showstopper. Yeah. Okay. We have this thing here. I don't think you've heard of it, and it's very tacky and hideous. But I think the Brits would be obsessed. A pie cake in. Or a pie cake in. It's like a pie, pie with a cake. cake inside of a something. I have to Google it, but we. Stand by two seconds, and then you can go. I swear. Is it pie okay. cake? P i e cake. Pie yeah. cake in cake. I-N. Yes. A pig. It's yeah. It's like yeah, it's like a pie and cake mashup, and you like you have to and like they can pick like their own like flavors, and it's just like okay. a big ass behemoth, like triple layer. American okay. Okay. nightmare. But if, but if I mean, if I googled it, I'd find it, huh? Yeah, yeah. I just find googled it to find it. Yeah, because my friends okay. made it, and it's delicious. Okay, I'll tell them. Truly, thank you so much for taking your time to talk to us. I'm so obsessed with you, but I can't apologize for it because I just love you, and I can't. It's not my fault that I have good taste. Honestly, I have so enjoyed it. It's been lovely fun, and um, maybe I'll see you when I get to the states. Oh my! Oh, please, fingers crossed. You've been listening to Getting Curious with me, Jonathan Van Ness. My guest this week was Prue Leith. You'll find links to her work in the episode description of whatever you're listening to the show on. Our theme music is Freak by Quinn. Thanks so much to her for letting us use it. If you enjoyed our show, introduce a friend and please show them how to subscribe. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Curious with JBN. Our socials are run and curated by Middle Seat Digital. Our editor is Andrew Carson. Getting Curious is produced by me, Erica Ghetto, and Zara Krim. 